And welcome to the Church of Stop Shopping. This is Reverend Billy again. Hey, I'm at my dining room table in my little Brooklyn apartment. My family's gone out there in the summer somewhere. But all of us are kind of out in the summer somewhere right now. We don't quite know what we're doing, do we? We're asking the question. We're being patient. But in the sixth weekend after Black Lives Matter started, we don't know quite where we are. The biggest wave crashed on the shore. And now we're being pulled back into the sea. I'd like to talk to you today about the word normal. What a word. Used to be a good word. Hey, act normal. Come on, that's not normal. A good word. Now it's a bad word. Since May 25th, since the death, the murder of George Floyd, we looked into George Floyd's eyes as he called out for his mother, and looking back at us was Breonna Taylor and Ahmoud Armory and thousands upon thousands of people, people of color who've been murdered in cold blood by law enforcement here in the United States. Now we said to ourselves, in the days that followed May 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, we started filling public space in great numbers. And we were saying to each other, this can't go on, this must stop. We'll find a way to stop this. We didn't really have a strategy, but we were embodying the strategy as we asked for the strategy because more and more and more and more of us were out in public space here in New York. It wasn't just the streets and avenues. It was the bridges and the freeways in greater numbers across the United States than any social movement we've ever, according estimates, 20 million of us. Not normal. That can't be normal. We have to change this. And I think that we did. I think that we realized that all this time, there's been some kind of guidance, some kind of prejudice in our perspective that we've let police departments across the country murder people and develop cultures uninterrupted by us in the main. Basically, we let them go forward and think it was okay to you know, make a mistake and lie about it on the report and you know, get, you get by, you could shoot. Now, hopefully, that is no longer the case. But let's step back a moment and ask ourselves, we were so wrong on the question of American policing, so mistaken across society. We were so wrong to accept that as normal. But how much else do we consider in this consumer society? How much do we look around and consider the things we're looking at normal? How normalized are we? Normal. Normal. Every time I take a step, I normalize that step I just took. My normalization is effulgent. Children, that means it's happening all the time, all the time, everywhere. I take another step, that's normal too. A third step, that's normal too. Each breath I take, I make sure it's normal. I sign off on it. 
I jump on the curb to miss a rat, or there's a rat in the in the gutter there. I, I jump over the rat. It's something a lot of New Yorkers do that a lot. But I sign off on that. That's normal. And then I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I f- fall in kind of lockstep with this banker. I'm walking behind a banker, and his right leg's going out. And my right leg goes out, and I'm like kind of marching behind him, like we're in the same army or something. I've been trying to tear down the banks my entire life. But every step I take, I sign off on it. It's normal. 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 I'm going to walk down the entire avenue behind this banker, synchronized with him like a synchronized swimmer. On the New York sidewalk, normal, 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 normal. I'm not becoming a banker. I'm not compromising my position. I'm still going to go into his J.P. Morgan Chase lobby and do the wrong thing and get arrested. I'll do that. That's what I do. But when I do that, it's normal. You guessed it. Even the really wacky shit is normal, normal, normal. I sign off on it. It's okay. Oh, that was normal. I'd like to bring now to our problem of being in that lockstep with that banker from John Berger, a writer who left us this instruction in his book about looking. Here it is. To see, you must be constantly surprised. One more time. To see, you must be constantly surprised. Now, Mr. Berger is saying that we don't see truly if we are in the habit of seeing a certain way, if we just kind of, we see things and we've seen them before. There are things about what we're seeing that we don't notice. And this is especially prevalent in the consumer world where we're just buying things. We're guided to look at things in a certain way so that we'll buy them. We're not surprised. We go through an entire day without being surprised because everything's predictable. There it is. There's my car, there's the sidewalk, now I'm driving, there's the traffic light. So, to see, you must be constantly surprised. That's the way we feel coming out of the streets and bridges and avenues, chanting our protests for day after day after day. That is how we feel with Black Lives Matter in us. And what what a relief to no longer be normal. What a relief to no longer be consumerized. Everything's fresh, everything's new, and everything is subject to our demand that we have no racism in this process, no racism in this business, no racism in this thing that I am seeing. We're celebrating the change of seeing things afresh, seeing things like a radical, This is how things are. That's bad. 
will change that. This is how things are good. Good will claim that. Are you ready? Let's celebrate. All right now. You know what, it just feels so, feels so good to see all of you at a fabulous worship today. Oh, you might just be a consumerizing little shops too much sinner like the rest of us, okay? But here in the Church of Stop Shopping, what well, we forgive each other in advance, ahead of time. Amen? Is that right, children? <laughs> oh, that, that's a gift we give each other. But no money down. And we're just going to go out there today and try to, try to, try to change ourselves. He says, 
looks me right in the eye and asks me, whoa, 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 what church are you from? Oh, Sammy, <laughs> I'm from the church of Stop Shopping. Welcome to our songs, children. change hallelujah we feel good right now da, 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 da. i knew that i would now we feel great coming out of the avenues and bridges and the streets and public plazas of this black lives matter hundreds of thousands of us out there they say that in all 20 million of us have been out there and now we're walking back into our lives and so what's the next thing we do? Well, many of us have been involved in some way in justice struggles. Some of them have to do directly with racism. We're doing prison work. We're doing health care work. We're involved in education. We're involved in places in our society where racism is more obvious. It's, it's there. So it's not so much of a step from American policing and often involves policing. Then some of us are involved in transportation or food systems or war and peace. Some of us are activists against the weapons industry. And of course, the mother of all issues, I say that because it is about life itself, earth justice. Now that is, that is one of the areas where the Stop Shopping Choir is very active. Because, of course, we're battling consumerism. We, we don't want to be consumers. We're battling consumerism. And domestic consumption is, is the top contributor to toxins in the atmosphere. It drives climate change and species extinction. So many of us have a job that is not in and of itself seemingly political in its nature. It may be just a service organization of some kind, uh, something that seems to be more politically neutral, but racism can be found everywhere in our society right now. But then we will have a way that we contribute after work or through work to the ACLU, uh, to the anti-sweatshop activism, to the divestment from fossil fuels. We, we may have a favorite charity, a favorite activist group that we are connected with. Well, now, all of us, I think, are facing our lives. And maybe my, my just kind of reviewing the kinds of things people do, maybe, maybe I've hit on something that you do here. But we're all right now asking ourselves, what's the next thing? We feel so much urgency, so much, so much energy. And now we're back in our lives. Many of us, we're still in lockdown. We're going right back to talking to people through uh, conference calls and Zoom and electronic devices. A lot of us are dealing directly with the pandemic. So much racism there, the outsized, deadly experience with that disease of black and brown people and Native Americans. But what's the next thing? It is like our lives are starting over, am I right? That There is that quality. Let's ask that question now. Let's go back to the fiery eagles of justice. Thinking about the next thing. 
This is Reverend Billy. I'd just like to ask you a question today. Do you ever think that you're going to do the next thing? Maybe you look out across the next 60 seconds. Or you look out across the next 10 minutes and you think, Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do... I'm going to do this task. I'm going to walk down that hallway. Pick my nose. Hold your hand. I have an idea of what I'm going to do with the next... Next. Hear that word? Next. Moments of living. It now seems as if there are... There's bad weather coming in that is inserting itself into that next thing. All of us are walking around all day long. We believe we have that next thing to do. No matter how bad our life is going, you know, we think we've got that next thing we can do. No matter how confusing things are, we got that next thing we can do. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Black Lives Matter. I mean, Black Lives Matter was the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate justice, the ultimate thing. And how do you do the next thing after that? What's the follow-up act to that performance? So going into public space is the answer. I, I arranged the song so that the next thing is the question and the answer is break into public space. I'd like to complexify that just a little bit. There's a temptation to say that, oh, we did this amazing thing out there. And now we're coming back into our lives. And Black Lives Matter 
is a memory and we're going to try to apply it to the institutions and relationships around us. I think that might be the wrong way to characterize what we're going through right now. We had this revelatory tragedy take place. We looked into George Floyd's eyes. He called out for his mother. And we felt in his eyes the power of thousands and thousands of people that have been murdered by American police practices. We went out into public space, and the police came and beat us, but ultimately gave up and relinquished their control of public space, and then something magical happened at that time. That thing, we don't leave it back out there. We have it in our bodies. Call it the First Amendment. Call it justice. The thing that we did together out there, carry it back into the life we were living before, which in many cases is not that much different. We're still in the pandemic in most parts of this country, and we have to go back to the lockdown, back to the electronic devices, uh, back to the masks. We have the responsibility to carry the public space with us, to carry with us Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is in us. It will be in us the rest of our lives. We're not leaving it out there on the highway. The chants are staying alive. The calling out to each other, the people, those of us who have been out there in the BLM space, in the chant space out there, who faced the police and then survived the police and then came back to our home, we still see each other up and down the streets. We still have that revolutionary connection with each other. And we have the common job, and we reinforce it in each other, that common job of justice, justice. Let's find the racism, root it out, and replace it with tough love, with disciplined fairness, with justice. So we have that job now. We are moving with the public space and we will have people from beyond the private property line. They will call out to us and say, you have no business coming in here because this is private property. And we will say, no, if there's racism there, we're coming in. And we're coming in singing, aren't we? <laughs> we're crossing that line singing. We're going to do something mesmeric, something performative. Or maybe we'll have lawyers on all sides. Maybe we'll do it legally. Maybe that's a part of it. This is a time to be radical. And private property cannot be used as a shield to keep the racism going. No. I'd like to go to an interview right now with Sundar Ganglani from the Stop Shopping Choir. He's going to say some wonderful things about how we keep this alive. How we keep the work of Black Lives Matter alive. Amen. That chant you just said, who keeps us safe? We keep us safe. It sounds like something that somebody would say with their family yeah. in a building when they were being bombarded. Yeah. Uh, it does sound like an extinction event. Yeah, it does, because there's a way to read it as a kind of the manifestation of a certain kind of desperation to remind yourself how you are alive and who allows you to be alive and who you allow to be alive. And when you ask questions at such a, a base level then you're really grasping to try to hold on to something, you know, to remind yourself of something. Mm, mm. But if I was asking alone, it would be a very different story. I'm asking with hundreds of thousands of people who are all saying that everywhere. And in saying it, creating the terms for safety, identifying how it takes place. You know, I've been thinking about it. Do you know these, um, a couple, I'm still not answering your question, but I want to tell you something. <laughs> a couple nights ago, I was riding my bike home from 
It was the night when this when the city council voted on the budget, and I was at the Occupy City Hall. The budget vote was kind of heartbreaking, but I didn't expect it to be otherwise. And so as I was riding my bike home, I remembered how Harriet Tubman, one of the tactics that she utilized was a sonic call that when she was doing her work as as a freedom fighter, an abolitionist, I mean, how do you address Harriet Tubman? One of the tools of that work was sound making to identify in the dark Mm -hmm. who was an ally. Mm -hmm. You would make a sound, you'd have a call like a bird or, mm-hmm. a, or an animal calls another, another animal to find mm-hmm. out where there is care. So it could be a whistle, it could be a, a refrain or something. There is this way in which communication was happening sonically that allowed you to identify in the dark who, mm-hmm. who else mm-hmm. knew the call and allowed you to feel safe. And so I was riding over the Brooklyn Bridge from City Hall and I remembered this because I was also so, I, was also, I also find it surprising to ride home from these big marches to have that feeling of utter togetherness, mm. fracture. Yes. And then you're alone on the street. And so I decided to say, and the, the bridge was peppered with people, but you don't know when you're not at the march anymore, you're not at the site of protest anymore. Whether you're with allies. Whether you're or with you're allies or not, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, but you want to be, and you want to imagine that everybody is. And so I remembered this tactic, this sonic tactic that Harriet Tubman utilized. And in the middle of the Brooklyn Bridge, I decided to yell out, who keeps us safe? There is an immediate response. Oh. There's everybody in my midst. Oh. We keep us safe. We keep us safe. (laughs) And we weren't at the march. Oh. We weren't on the site of protest. We were just on the Brooklyn Bridge. We were just New Yorkers on the Brooklyn Bridge. There was this incredible moment where, just in case you thought that you weren't on the site of protest anymore, just in case you confuse yourself into thinking that that spirit is not everywhere right now. You can walk out your front door regardless of where you live. And somebody is going to echo you. Somebody is going. Somebody, I guarantee it. If you yell it, if you yell at it as, as loud as you can, somebody is going to respond. That's the fabric of the city right now. And so I've been... Wonderful. Exp- it's really beautiful, Billy. Just like you can just tap it. There's a behavior... That's, that we're all participating in, whether or not we're on the site of protest or in the act of protest, there is a part of our bodies, a, a way in which our ears are attuned to justice, to fighting, are attuned to what I think this kind of, this window that's been opened up. Yes, we want to thank you. Thank you for being a part of this exploration of breaking out of the normal, seeing vividly to see. We must be constantly surprised. And then to take the public space back into our lives, the First Amendment, and make radical changes in the world around us. Can we do that? I just want to thank all the people that contributed here, we obviously have the Fiery Eagles of Justice, Jason Candler and Brendan Burke. And we have the Stop Shopping Choir, our director, Savitri D. We're very grateful to Savitri. So much of this results from her work. Our music director is Nehemiah Luckett. 
We want to thank the Pantheon podcast for distributing our work. And a special thanks to Neil Young. The Neil Young Archives has uh, helped us develop this over the last year and a half, uh, giving us feedback and publishing our text as well as our audio and sometimes our video too. If you'd like to write to us and keep this conversation going that way, you can email us through the homepage of our church website, which is revbilly.com. R-E-V Billy, revbilly.com. Thank you, everybody. Earth-alluya, change-alluya, love-alluya. Have a fascinating day. See you next week. Amen. Amen.